Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. I'm joined. He's returned after about a month's sabbatical. Jack Davies is back. Jack, how we do, man? Yeah, I'm good. It feels 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 like a long time, to be fair. But yeah, good to be back and discuss what we've what we've seen in this season so far. Yeah, no, exactly. Jack, last time he was on was actually with Adam to the back of the season so far on part one. So that was about a month ago. <laughs> so yeah, it has been a while. But as I said, Adam Newson from Football London has returned to join us to again have a look back at the season so far in this international break. Adam, how are we doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me uh, back again, guys. I always enjoy it. Yep. Uh, Adam, as always with guests, I get them to give themselves a plug. Obviously, you know, you write for Football London. Uh, just, I guess, where people can find you and your work and, you know, follow all your socials, etc. Yeah, just Adam Newson on Twitter. It's Adam Newson on Facebook, which people should really need to get involved, even though I'm not as great as I should be as posting on there. Um, and my Instagram is Adam Newson 27 and I am actually trying to do more on there. So please do follow. Yeah, check out Adam for all the great work he does for Football London. Right. You know, obviously there was no pod last week. I didn't do one for Malmo and Burnley because uh, so I, I thought I'd just include it in this one. So we're going to look back at the seasons, you know, what has happened since we last spoke. So obviously when we last spoke, Chelsea had just been Southampton and they were top of the league. Jack had also, you know, just run his London Marathon. Um, and since then, we played Brentford. Uh, that was scary, but we won. Um, <laughs> we've had two comfortable wins against Malmo in the UEFA Champions League, despite maybe not playing out of best in the second one. A thumping uh, win over Norwich, progress in the Carabao Cup against Southampton, a good, really good win at Newcastle, and then a frustrating 1-1 draw against Burnley, where actually we did play really, really well. Um, Adam, I guess just looking back at the fixtures I uh, just mentioned, is there anything, you know, sort of particularly that's like stood out to you? Anything you kind of learnt, we learned from that set of fixtures in particular? Um, I think what we learned is that this squad is capable of, of carrying injuries and not being 
too impacted by them. Um, obviously, in that Burnley game, I think if Chelsea probably did have a Lukaku figure in that game, Chelsea win. Um, but no, look, the squad's deep. We knew it was. It's, it's kind of proved its, itself over the last few weeks. And just on uh, just on Thomas Sukkot, I actually thought it was really refreshing, his um, response to the Burnley game, because I very much expected him to come into his post-match press conference a bit irritated and frustrated with, with Chelsea dropping points. But he was very philosophical about it, accepted that uh, this kind of thing can happen in football. Um, and I thought it was interesting that he referenced the uh, the Brentford game where he basically said, well, we didn't deserve a clean sheet in that game and we got one. So, you know, kind of balances itself out. So it's quite a rational view for a Chelsea head coach. And I think that might actually stand him in quite good stead going forward just to be that level-headed about things when, when results don't go Chelsea's way. Because let's face it, as much as we want Chelsea to win every single game, that's never going to happen no matter what some people may want on social media or get frustrated when it doesn't happen. Chelsea can't win every game. There is an opposition who will try and stop you and you have to accept it when uh, when it does happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jack, I guess looking back, you know, we are still top of the Premier League. Uh, obviously, you know, helped as well, but Liverpool only, you know, people you know, can get frustrated about, oh, we drew uh, Burnley, while well, Liverpool only had only taken one point from the last two Premier League games. Um, you know, City, you know, they look, you know, pretty good. Uh, but did also slip up to sort of Crystal Palace in the, in this time period. Uh, I guess what have you, you know a pretty positive you know set of fixtures at for Chelsea. And you know, obviously we kind of expected Chelsea to be pretty successful in them. You know, be look look a bit better in them, but still nonetheless in this league, you know, as we've seen, you know, with Liverpool slipping up, with City slipping up, you can't really take anything for granted. And to be top by three points heading into, you know, I guess a big you know defining period, a period where Chelsea do in recent seasons tend to struggle. You know, pretty pretty encouraging. Yeah, definitely impressive. I think we probably in the in the last um, like review episode we did with Adam, we probably all said we'd be expecting to win pretty much all of those all of those fixtures before this international break. So to pretty much go and do it, we've we've done an all right job. I know against Burnley, it just seemed like um, from what I saw, we just we had had all the possession, played well, but just couldn't stick the ball in the back of the net at the end of the day and sometimes you have days like that um like you said Nick on the bright side there we we've still gained gained points on Liverpool by them drop losing to to West Ham so we're still marginally gaining points so you can't can't complain too much and to be topped by three points at this stage is is um is pretty decent and we're we're looking sharp we're we're pulling off results when we're not playing so well like that Brentford game I think Mendy had the best or arguably the best uh, individual performance we've seen from anyone this season just pulling pulling ridiculous saves out left right center and then uh playing teams like Malmo away we didn't play very well but we picked up three points so um yeah, to to win games when you're when you're not playing at your best and you're missing key players, um, that's only that's only good for us going forward when for when they return. Yeah, obviously, you know, Lukaku and Timo Werner got injured in that Malmo home game. And yes, obviously I guess some fixtures after that have been fairly kind for us. But Adam, I guess, you know, with maybe the exception of Burnley, even though to be fair, we just weren't clinical in front of goal, the amount of glorious chances we missed. You'd say we've coped fairly well without, you know, the likes of, of Romelu Lukaku, Tim Werner. I mean, even again, you know, Mason Mount again, he, you know, came back even still, he's not had, you know, been as involved as we might have expected due to illness, then obviously, you know, wisdom teeth, etc. And then Kovacic obviously, you know, getting injured as well. Chelsea seem to have dealt with this front of fixtures again with the caveat that it is not the hardest opposition, but they seem to have dealt with it, you know, in a pretty 
you know professional almost clinical manner yeah definitely and and as you say without Lukaku and Werner uh, and then without Mount as well I mean it it did sort of force Tuchel into a front three of Havertz, Hudson-Odoi on the left which I know we're going to talk about a bit more and uh, and Ziyech and I thought Callum did very well uh, I thought Kai had good moments within games uh, I still don't think he's quite at the level that his ability uh, sort of to match his ability I do think there's so much more still we can get from Kai Havertz and Hakim Ziyech I guess is the one who's still frustrates sort of is very complex it doesn't seem to still be working out for him and, and I guess there does come a point where you have to to look at that situation and um, and of course we haven't even mentioned Christian Pulisic there who's also been out but is slowly coming back so Chelsea did what they had to do there, were, there was that Norwich performance which was great but Norwich were awful um, and Norwich Malmo weren't that much better especially in the first game but yeah, all you can do if you're Chelsea is reel off those those wins. It's just a little bit disappointing that 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 Burnley game came back to bite them because they didn't take the chances. Yeah, and I guess it's almost one of those well, you know, the game before the international break, just going in on a slight slight down. Obviously, you know, it's almost if you know if you say we draw with Brentford and beat Burnley, the mood is you know probably a lot different. And to be fair, I still think the mood is is fairly good. Um, obviously, you know, we kind of mentioned you know ZH Kai. Uh, at the start, you know, in the last international break, we kind of said who'd been the most impressive player for us this season at the time, who'd been the most disappointing. Jack said the most impressive was Mateo Kovacic. Uh, Adam, you said the most impressive was Antonio Rudiger. I said Kovacic all of the, and all of the defence. Um, <laughs> and, and most disappointing, you know, the common theme was, was Kai Havertz. He, he was said by all of us. Uh, Jack and I said Hakim Ziyech. And we also said Mason Mount. Obviously, before we go in on most impressive, Adam, I think it'd be fair to say that... Uh, Edouard Mendy and Reese James have entered the chat. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking Mendy and James as we were talking about that. Uh, sorry, as you were talking about that. Yeah, def- Reese and Ben Chilwell, to be fair, that they've all stepped up this side of, of the last international break. Obviously, Reese and Ben have been massively important in terms of scoring goals uh, and creating goals for us. They've, they've really gone up a level. And, and yeah, Mendy deserves a shout just for his performance at Brentford, which was absolutely astounding, to be fair, that what he managed to, to do in that game to ensure Chelsea won. Yeah, um, Jack, uh, most disappointing, you know, we kind of said Ziyech, Kai Mason. I feel like Mason, we've probably got to kind of move away from this category. I mean, he did kind of bag a hat-trick against Norwich and he's not played a huge yeah. amount of games, you know, since then. Um, but I guess on Kai, as I mentioned, there were, you know, there have been some moments, you know, got, you know, really, you know, it was a really nice header against Burnley. And I actually thought he did really put himself about against Burnley. It was just a case of, you know, we, we just couldn't kill that game off. Uh, and he obviously got his goal in the, in the Carabao Cup against Hampton. He got a goal against Malmo in the home game. He was also part of, you know, a, a small part, but still quite an important part of, you know, Ziyech's winner at Malmo, you know, getting that ball out to come to play that beautiful uh, pass to Ziyech to tap in. But I guess, as Kai, has it been, is, would you agree with Adam? You know, he said, oh, it's been like moments with Kai, but we're yet to see like a real big, you know, standout performance in this, uh, in this time period. Yeah, I mean... That, that's really what we don't want Kai Havertz uh, as a Chelsea player to become a moments player, do we? We want him to really just score a few goals and keep keep a run going. Maybe not not go on the uh, old 11 like Vardy did, but score in a few consecutive games and just keep the momentum going. Because you just referred to there, Nick, he scored a few goals between these two international breaks. Um and contributed, but I still just, I don't know, something just feels like it's missing with him for me. Um, 
I, I, I don't know. He just, I think it's one of those again, maybe like last season with Timo and even Rom at points when, uh, when he was having a few games without goals, you just need as a striker need a few to hit the back of the net, and then you, then you can keep 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 on uh, moving forward. But um, I've, I've, yeah, I, I'd say slightly underwhelming, but maybe not not the most disappointing uh, for us this season for sure. Yeah, Adam Hakim's here again. I feel like we've maybe slightly less than Cup, but I do feel there have been some moments. I think against um, obviously Southampton in the League Cup, I don't think he was great. He did get the assist for the goal, but against Newcastle, I actually thought in those sixty minutes he was on the pitch, he wasn't bad. He just wasn't great, you know. He was a bit unlucky, you know. The offside goal, he had a shot that deflected hit the post. Mm. He was perhaps in that first sixty minutes one of the more creative out of you know the front three. I don't think Kai was particularly amazing in the first 60 minutes. Callum, I think, actually kind of grew as the game went on a bit. But And then, obviously, ZH got the important winner at Malmo. But again, is it with ZH? He's like, you know, we're seeing glimpses, we're seeing moments, but this isn't a young, up-and-coming player. This is a player who should be in his prime years. So the excuses we make for someone like Kai aren't there for ZH. And really, you know, time is sort of starting to run out, despite the fact that this has been a marginally more encouraging month than we'd seen before ZH. Yeah, I think his age is important, as you say, because he isn't he isn't a Kai Havertz. He's twenty two, and and Chelsea need him to come good sooner, essentially, because of of, of his age. He, and yeah, the Newcastle game was a strange one. I mean, I was there and watching it within the stadium. I, I was I thought I didn't think he played that well, but then on the train back, I was sort of got thinking a bit more and saying, well, I realised he didn't play well because he was actually trying things. He was he was attempting risky passes. He was trying to make something happen, and and maybe. By doing that, it makes him far more noticeable when things don't go wrong. Uh, sorry, don't go right, and and maybe that's not a criticism because he's actually trying to make you know he's actually standing up. However, I still yeah, I just don't think it's working for whatever reason. I thought you know, look, the Malmo goal was it was a good finish, but it was absolutely put on a plate for him by, by Callum. I mean, that was essentially Callum's goal with with a Ziyech nice tap in at the end. So. Yeah, it's just it's it's just not coming together for him. Um, and I say I do think Chelsea will have to make a decision. Maybe in January, depends if he goes to Afcon, which is unlikely at the moment given his spat with the the Morocco national team coach. Um, but I do think it will come to a head at some point because Chelsea won't want to lose too much money on him if they do come to sell him, and his value is only going to decrease if he's just not playing regularly or, or not starring in the, in the same fashion he was at Ajax. Yeah. One player, you know, sort of front three who has been impressing has been Callum hudson Doy. Last time we were on, you know, we kind of said, what is the Callum project? We, you know, it's, you know, you said, I mean, he's played 100 odd appearances. We don't know what he is. We don't quite know what Callum hudson Doy is. We wanted him to get a run of games in his preferred position. And look, obviously, I think it was helped by the fact that Timo Werner went off injured against Malmö, but Pusic come back from injury. But he did get his opportunity in that front three, Adam. And I think it would be fair to say he's taken it pretty well. Yeah, I agree. I think he's grown with each game um, he's played. You could you could see the confidence returning to his game when he was getting the ball. I think in the latter games against uh, against Malmo and then Burnley, he, as soon as he got the ball, he was direct. He was going straight at a defender, which he wasn't necessarily doing uh, right at the start of this run. So for me, he had important contributions in games. He obviously scored against uh, Norwich and, and got the assist, quote unquote, assist for the own goal. Um, was involved in, in Reese's first at Newcastle. And there's another one assist that I'm forgetting right now. Um, Kai in the home game against Malmo. Kai, yeah. yes, in the home game against Malmo. And then obviously got Ziyech's uh, goal as well in the away game. So all, all, all Callum has been able to do uh, is is have an impact. 
and he's done that. He's got the statistics, which Tuchel likes to, to reference and his attackers need. They need to have the statistics and Callum's done that. Um, I think the, the important slash interesting uh, thing now is, is that Callum keeps his place after the international break because if, if Lukaku comes back, as we're kind of expecting, if, if Fern is able to get back, if Mount's back, if Pulisic's fit, if Callum suddenly drops out of his starting eleven again, given what he's done, I think you kind of end up being back at square one here and just saying, well, yeah, we haven't really progressed a huge amount. We, we've learned a bit more about Callum. We know he can have an impact on that left-hand side, but his situation at Chelsea will probably be set of you are fourth, fifth choice in that front line. And and again, that leaves him in a difficult position. Yeah, Jack, obviously, you know, talking about Callum and come back on international break, obviously, you know, our first three games after the international break are, are pretty tough and pretty important ones. Leicester away, Juventus at home and Man United at home. And, you know, you'd say... You know, obviously, if Rom's fit, then he takes one of the spots. If Mason's fit, he maybe takes another, maybe Kai. But would you, you know, I guess with, with Callum, is it kind of one of those, like, if he didn't start, you know, at least one of those three, you know, that would be quite worrying for you? Um, yeah, probably, just given the fact that he, he has performed well in these in these run of games. And he, yeah, he, he has, I would say he has he has taken his chance there that he's been given and, and, and shown that he is good enough. So, if if you're being taken out of the team straight away for boys that are just that won't be fully up to speed, won't have full match fitness coming back from injuries, if I was Callum Hudson Odoi, I would be a bit a bit put out and a bit worried about about my situation and place within the team. And personally, if I was him and that happens, I'd be looking to go elsewhere in January. Really, I think he just needs to be brutally honest with himself now if he doesn't if he doesn't uh play in these in these few games that it might be it might be better for him to almost take one step back to go two steps forward go to a small slightly smaller club in the Premier League maybe a Leicester someone like that and really kick on in his career because he is still young to be fair but you've seen with the youngsters they want to be playing at this age and there's People like, I know, well, he's at Arsenal, but people like Smith Rowe, like, I remember when those boys won the under-17s England, like, World Cup, Smith Rowe didn't play that much in that team. He was on the bench. And players like these that have then, like Morgan Gibbs-White as well, was gone to, was at Wolves and on loan at Sheffield United, have taken kind of a step back and are playing more, much more professional football than Callum. So... It's down to him at the end of the day what he what he chooses and what he wants to do. But uh, he he's shown he's good enough, and I hope he does keep his space because Tuchel should be picking these teams on form, and and he deserves to be playing for sure. Yeah, no, I think Callum will be an interesting one, but I think you know, as I said, this has been a very encouraging period of time, you know, for Callum Hudson Odoi. So we've just kind of got to hope it continues. Obviously, you know, I kind of mentioned briefly, you know, you know, most impressed players, you know, we said that Edward Mendy venture well. Maurice James has sort of entered end of the conversation. They have been ridiculously good. I mean, Adam, I've like is would he, you know, Reese James, I think, you know, a lot of people, I think even last season were kind of very but Reese James Trent Alexander Arnold comparisons like happened a lot. And last season I think they sort of were made a bit too early for my liking. I I think Reese is brilliant, but I think even like, you know, last season there were still, you know, I think some gaping sort of holes in Reese's game. But it feels like this year, this is probably the best version of Reese James we're seeing. I think he even said as much in his England press conference that he's in the form of his life but you know 
would it be fair to say that Reese James is one of the best wingbacks in the world at the moment? And also, just how much of a difference do Reese James and Ben Chilwell make to our attack compared to when Cesar Azpilicueta and Marcus Alonso played? Because I think, albeit with just one game, but against Malmo away, I did think you saw quite a big difference in how good we looked. Yeah, with Cesar and, and Marcus Alonso in, in those wingback roles, you lack a certain dynamism that you have with, with Chilwell and Reese. You lack... Uh, that extra mobility, that extra sort of little bit burst of acceleration to get in behind the defence or get into that into the box when attack is building. So I don't think that's a huge surprise. You know, Marcus is is thirty now, thirty one, and and Aspi's obviously thirty two. And yeah, they they're not going to be as impactful as as Reese and and Ben in those positions. And just on Reese, his development over the last well two and a half seasons now, two and a bit seasons has been just huge. He uh, for me, he's definitely one of one of the world's best wingbacks, um, and he's only twenty one years old, so he doesn't turn twenty two until next month, um, which is the frightening prospect, really, that you've got this talent who you could have in your team for ten years easy. Um, so yeah, Chelsea in a good position with Reese. Um, he's a Chelsea fan. Lock him up, give him a long term contract, do whatever you want, keep him at the club. Um, and yeah, we're probably the same for for Ben on the other side, just because he uh, he has been so good and. Um, I don't want to, you know, use it as a stick to beat people with, but let's not forget, Chua wasn't exactly everyone's first choice um, when he was signed. A lot of people wanted other left backs, um, <laughs> but he knew the Premier League. He stepped into this Chelsea team pretty seamlessly, and um, yeah, he's a, he's equally as important as Reese, both of them. Um, and I, we kind of need them to stay fit, really, if Chelsea are going to sort of maintain this fluidity in their attack. Yeah, 50 million down the drain as Ben Chilwell scores again. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, obviously, look, I've, I've watched look, I've watched Reese against Burnley. Look, obviously, we get the pleasure of watching these games online. And look, Reese, I think, has been, you know, really impressive this whole international break. I mean, against mentioned on a pod against Norwich, like their left back got subbed at half time when he played in the league. I think Giannoulis, he literally couldn't cope with Reese James. But I fought against Burnley. I was literally, whenever Reese James on board, I was just like, wow, stop it, Reese. Just stop it. I think, you know, he was ending up in midfield, making driving runs, his link up with Callum on Brian's side. Beautiful ball for Kai. You know, put a brilliant crossing, but I think Silver hit it, hit, miss hit it against uh, the post. Reese James, honestly, is like just looking unreal this season. And it is a scary, scary prospect. You know, I kind of mentioned, I think, alluded to on a, a previous pod, I can't remember who, but, you know, Reese and I think Reese and Chile can have a, like almost like a Trent and, and Robertson impact that they had on Liverpool's title win. You know, their importance, what they contribute. And I think Reese and Chile can certainly have uh, the same. Right. We've spoken, you know, pretty positively about, you know, the whole situation with the squad. I want to quickly move on, I guess, to the loan situation because this is, you know, again, kind of like last time, good and bad. Jack, I guess we'll start on positive. Connor Gallagher, you know, agent Connor, great, you know, great performance against uh, City, you know, got, got an assist and a goal. You know, he is doing his bit. He's taking points for our rivals, but also he's just looking a proper, proper player. He's, yeah, he's he's been very, very good. And one of my friends, Louis, he's a big Palace fan and, ever since the first game of the season he just was absolutely raving about him and he's always messaging me after every game about them just saying how good he is so he, he's screaming out for Palace to put 40 million or so down on the table and try and get him but uh, personally I can't see that happening um, I think just from Connor's point of view he's just got to keep going he's just doing what he's doing he does everything in that in that role in midfield, I saw the some of the stats. I think it was against City. Had the one that had the most like, um, like ball recoveries, like 
passes forwards into the final third, like literally all of these stats, and he was first in all of them, just shows that he can do everything required of 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 a number eight midfielder. Um, I think just for him, at the end of the season, come August when it's pre-season, I think he's he's literally if he keeps on the form for Palace and just keeps going the way he's going, he's gonna have to give Chelsea pretty much a ultimatum and say you've got to find a space for me in this team, otherwise I'm going. Because I can't, based on the performances he's shown this season, I can't see him coming back to Chelsea and wanting to sit on the bench. He will want to keep kicking on. So, especially with, he could potentially be called up to England the rest of this season in the next camp in March, potentially. So, yeah, I think it's it's going to be a tough one. But I think personally, we should we should try and try and get him in get him in this team and in this squad because obviously we're always going to have that pull of winning trophies and that's what football's all about at the end of the day so he want to be playing for us rather than Palace. Yeah Adam I kind of bring you in on that and kind of throw in another question obviously you know spoken you know very highly about Congag your thoughts in but also given the fact that again it's early days but Saul I would be I would be stunned if Saul ended, ended up a Chelsea player next season so that'd be one less spot to fill. <laughs> Given as well that Billy Gilmore has not perhaps had the most successful time of it at Norwich so far, and I'm not saying his development's going to be set back this season, but maybe you know isn't going to kick on necessarily to the level we might have hoped for next season. Does does he? Do you think Conor Gallagher, if he obviously keeps this really good form, actually has a really realistic shot at looking the squad, especially given he can see, albeit you know Jack said he'll probably want to play regularly, but even seeing you know Ross Barkley's been afforded quite a few minutes in recent weeks, you know Ruben Loftus Cheek is firmly in the, in Thomas Tuchel's picture as well. I think Chelsea have to work out how to get him into their squad next season. Um, and they'll have to obviously guarantee him a certain amount of game time as well in order to do that. Because as Jack says, if he can maintain the level he's hit at Palace, he's not going to be short of, of top-tier suitors. And um, and Chelsea will then be forced into a decision. So I think there is space in the squad. Saul, I can't see Chelsea exercising that 30 million option, especially based on what we've seen so far. And Look, let's not be. Oh, let's be blunt about it. Why should Chelsea continue to develop Saul? Or and, and this has kind of annoyed me during the international break almost that this this messaging has come out that Chelsea are prepared to 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 try and give Saul time to to give him minutes. He will get his chances. Why? Why? Not to be really harsh, but why? He's not Chelsea's player. He's Atletico Madrid's player. Chelsea have Ruben Loftus-Cheek already in situ, who's proving himself. He's your player. Why not give him the minutes? Why not trust him? And that kind of can, it, it irritates me to an extent. And it's the same with Gallagher. Next season, just plan to bring Connor back. Work out a way to do it. I think he's. Uh, I don't think he's a natural replacement for Angola Kante in that midfield. But I think he could do a lot of what Angola does. And that we know Kante, the levels he can hit is is at astronomical when he's at his best. And maybe you only get twenty games from Kante because of his injury problems. Uh, if you get twenty games at the level he plays at, fine. If Kat, and then you can bring in Connor because Connor's played in a two-man midfield in a in that system. He did it at academy level for Chelsea and did it very well. So he can he can play that role and and yeah. Sorry, I got a bit rolled up there about the sale stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, bring him back next next summer. Work out that that development plan. And, and as for Gilmore, I think it's a bit more tricky. But let's see how things work out on Norwich now because it looks like Dean Smith's going in there. Yeah, obviously, you know, Daniel Farker has left. Uh, you know, obviously, you kind of also, you, Adam, you kind of mentioned about getting, you know, rather, you know, why are we developing Sal? I mean, you know, Farker, I think, is like, well, we're, we're not here to develop players. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, obviously, we get that. However, you know, 
I, you know, no, you know, I really, you know, no disrespect to Norwich. I, I predict, as I said, I will keep doing this. I predicted Norwich to stay up, you know, so I do want them, yeah, I do want them to stay up, but they were comfortably, I think, the worst side I'd see come to Stamford Bridge in many, many a year. And I didn't think I'd see worse for Malmo, you know, that week. And then Norwich turned up on the Saturday. <laughs> but with, with Gilmore, you know, obviously Dean Smith is likely coming in now. Frank's pulled out of the race. We'll kind of get onto Frank and what maybe could be next for him a bit later. But would you say hopefully this is, you know, if pre- presuming Dean Smith comes, this is the turnaround time for Billy? But also, is it still, you know, would you still maybe consider just getting him out of there? Because it Norwich does seem to be a bit of a sinking ship or would you kind of, if Dean Smith go just, you know, obviously we can't really do anything till January. So I guess just assess in January. Yeah, I think you look at it, watch the next couple of uh, months carefully and, and then make your decision. It's a tricky one with Billy because I wouldn't have any issue if, if Thomas Tuchel dropped Billy Gilmore into a Chelsea starting eleven tomorrow. Um, I think he's more than capable of handling himself and he's proved that with, with his performances for Chelsea in the past. So I'm not hugely concerned almost about what's going on at Norwich because I think we already know what Billy can do in this Chelsea team if you give him that opportunity. So it's a bit of a strange one from his perspective. Obviously, he wants to be playing. He, I'm sure, would like to be playing in a team that doesn't lose every week. Um, so hopefully that happens if, if Dean Smith does take the job. And and yeah, I think you do look at it in January, but it's a strange situation he finds himself in because he he's already almost proved himself as a Chelsea player. Uh, you can trust him. But he's in this weird situation of being out on loan, having to try and improve it at a club that's maybe not as competent as Chelsea. So, um, so yeah, so it's a weird one really with Gilmore because I, I think he's perfectly good enough to walk back into the Chelsea squad next season if he wants to. Yeah, Jack, another one of our boys out on loan in the Premier League. He's had you know, a pretty good month. Unfortunately, he's injured at the moment, but Armando Brozier got a couple of Premier League goals, got a couple of really nice goals as well. You know, obviously, I know it's just early days with him, but, you know, considering, you know, it was maybe a slow start for him being, you know, nice to see, you know, that, yeah, this guy will be at third days, but yeah, he obviously can make it of a Premier League, ever kind of cut out for it. But also given, you know, gives Chelsea maybe an option to consider looking at, you know, keeping around in the squad next summer, if obviously he can get back think keeping the Southampton team. Yeah, I think it's, it was always going to be a difficult task for him this season at Southampton, because I think, I can't remember if it was a couple of days after he signed or a couple of days before, but then they went and signed Adam Armstrong for 30 million and it's their transfer transfer record fee. So it was always going to be tough for him to to work his way into that team. But I think it was shown when he's been called upon, he scored a few goals early on against Newport in the cup and then um and then got got his start against Burnley, scored scored on his first Premier League start. So He's yeah, he's not he's not doing too badly. He's shown that he's a he's a he's a classy finisher, can stick the ball in the back of the net. And yeah, I I agree with you, Nick. If if next season he could come back, he might be limited to minutes at Chelsea. But it's kind of been similar for him this year at Southampton, coming off the bench. And if he can come off the bench for Chelsea next season and and score a few goals and and uh, kind of get that kind of super sub. Um, title then I think he'll take that to be honest if we're going and winning trophies so yeah he's 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 not done too badly and and just really shown how big his rise has been through through football in the last two years yeah yeah no I kind of know we touched on it last time you know after having a tricky start you know initially in the academy and then just banging him in and now you know going going on the tests and then now Samson yeah it's been quite a quite a rise for for Armando Brogia and definitely Albania missed him last night. They were local um, last night. Um, I kind of want to move on to, you know, maybe slightly more 
distressing news, the contract situation with Chelsea centre-backs. Obviously, we'll start on a positive. Trevor Chalabar signed a new contract for Chelsea. Obviously, you know, we're all delighted for Trevor. Obviously, anyone who was there for his first game, saw him score that goal against Crystal Palace, you know, saw the celebration, knew how much it meant to him, like realising a dream. On Trev, you know, just a quick word on his season so far, but also, I guess, not only, you know, the contract, how deserving he is of it, but also, I guess, it's an encouraging sign to maybe some players from the academy who might have felt, you know, slightly disillusioned, seemed like some Mark Gurhey leave, Tino Livermento leave, because they feel like they've, that's what they've got to do. But Trev has kind of shown, you know, that the pathway is still there under Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, I think that's that's a very important point that he's sort of gone the loan route. He's done the loans out on uh, Ipswich, Huddersfield and, and Lorient and he's proved himself. And yes, circumstances played a part in him being given a chance in pre-season with, with the Euros and Copa America taking players away. But you can only do what you can when, when those circumstances present themselves. And he was, was fantastic in pre-season, excellent in the Super Cup. And one took all over to an extent that obviously the, the sort of plan to send him out alone once again was shelved and, and he was incorporated and he's been very good whenever he's played I can't think of a single mistake he's made um, especially one that's not sort of hurt Chelsea and uh, and yeah really deserving of a new contract I'm really pleased for him because he seems a very down to earth guy as well yeah obviously I guess on the negative side I uh, kind of heard that Andreas Christensen's contract that we thought was really close isn't as close as it was now you know been some disagreements there and obviously we have you know Rudiger is just you know still silenced we're not really hearing anything there obviously I guess uh Cesar Aspicor and Tiago Silva are less you know urgent because they'll be offered you know the one years and you'd imagine Cesar will just weigh his options up and you know will go probably more likely stay and, and Silva if he keeps his form up you know given how his family seems settled in London you'd imagine and like to think that he would stay but are you concerned that realistically do you think we lose one of Rudiger and Christensen in the summer just like a gut feel yeah I think so I think so at the moment um I think Christians is more likely to stay uh, than go still, despite the sort of discrepancy between the club and and, and his representatives. Um, the Rudiger situation is is far more fluid, I think, and I think it's far more understandable. Look, Rudiger's going to be twenty nine next next summer. Chelsea don't want to commit to a long contract on big wages for a guy who, let's face it, has been very very good for. 11 months had a decent season under Conte but other than that it's been very inconsistent um, Chelsea don't want to be stuck with a 31 year old Rudiger on 200 grand a week when he's not playing anymore um, understandably so yeah that's the more complicated one um, to be honest I wouldn't be surprised if it sort of gets to February and Rudiger's sounded out his options elsewhere because he'll obviously be free to talk to any club um, abroad at that point and I don't think it's, it's completely out of the question that these offers that he's hoping for don't come in maybe maybe he does then go back to Chelsea and say actually let's let's talk um I don't think that's entirely out of the question um because I think he's very settled in London but um but yeah he's definitely the one I think is more likely to go out of, uh, out of him and Rudy, uh, him and Christensen yeah and on that obviously I'm not you know comparing no one to consult compare two players but again you kind of is it maybe similarish almost to William the fact that William was offered you know a very good deal by Chelsea for him for Chelsea but he wanted more and Chelsea didn't budge. And William's basically regretted that move and what he's done ever since, really. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I don't think Rudy goes in the same boat necessarily bit, but I think there are maybe some parallels to draw from him. Do you think that, I know, I know it's easy to say you, we're, we're biased Chelsea fans, but do you almost kind of think like Rudiger would probably just be best suited just to take what, what Chelsea are from providing? Obviously, it is like, you know, a decent raise on what he's currently got. 
I mean, it's a cautionary tale with the William situation, definitely. I mean, it's something to keep in mind that the grass isn't always necessarily greener elsewhere, even if the money may be a bit greener. Um, so, look, as we say, Rudiger's developed into or blossomed into one of these, probably one of the outstanding centre-backs in Europe over the past sort of 10, 11 months. And he's done it under Tuchel, take him out of that environment. Maybe he's not as effective. Um, but I guess without wanting to sound too harsh, if he's on a big contract at that point, maybe if he isn't at his top top level anymore, such is life. I'm not sure he's going to probably be that gutted about it if he's got a big contract out of uh, out of it. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love it. I think it's worth keeping him if Chelsea can, but, um, but I don't think it's worth breaking their wage structure or going sort of too mad trying to because I don't think uh, there's any point. And it, it sort of backfires. You look at Barcelona keeping lots of players on big money. You can't shift them once they're on that. Yeah, nice. I think the Rudiger one will be one to keep an eye on. I think obviously, you know, Antonio Rudiger is probably one of the players who have one just the biggest rejuvenation under Thomas Tuchel. So the impression he had on the fan base as well, now everyone is desperate for him to stay. And you say, we having this conversation 12 months ago and we're saying Rudiger's out the door. So I guess you can also see, just in terms of the volatility of Chelsea, how Chelsea would also be, you know, perhaps hesitant to offer him a contract given, you know, 12 months ago, we were basically saying, right, he's a goner. Um, yeah, the centre-back situation is going to be interesting. Um, boys, I don't know if this news bothered you much. It didn't really bother me at all when it was broken. Uh, obviously, you know, it happened uh, before. Uh, it's happened since the last pod. Uh, Antonio Conte at Spurs. Jack, you know, you and I obviously have very fond memories of that 16-17, him at Chelsea. Um, but we also do know how it ended. And we do also know that he's taking over at Spurs. And we do also know that we have Thomas Tuchel right now. So are you, like, bothered at all, really, that Conte's gone to Spurs? Or is it kind of more just like, well, I wish he hadn't, yeah. because it kind of ruins, like, what he had with the Chelsea fans. But at the same time, like, it's football. Yeah, I think it's, it's football at the end of the day, isn't it? We've seen it before. Mourinho's done the same. Um, so, I don't know if... You have to see a few more games. I know their first game against in the Prem against Everton, I don't think they even had a shot on target, so... Um, that is interesting, but he is at the end of the day, he is a class manager, and you see his credentials in the leagues. He always does well in the league, so that could potentially be a bit worrying next season. Uh, I know one of my friends has already put a tenner on Spurs to win the league, uh, it was pretty good odds. I think he gets like 1500 quid if they do it. He was like, easy, easy money here, but nah. Um, yeah, obviously we hope he doesn't doesn't perform well. You know, it's a step down from Chelsea, and I remember saw some quote that he said when he was at Chelsea about Spurs, and he said that winning at Chelsea is an expectation for Tottenham; it is a hope. So <laughs> it's always funny seeing these uh, quotes come and do a full circle now that he's there. But it, it it's 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 like history, isn't it? it he. I still will remember that 16-17 season, uh, what he did from us, taking us from 10th, changing to that five at the back and honestly just completely almost like revolutionising football in the Premier League with that new formation uh, after that loss against, uh, that 3-0 loss against Arsenal and gave me one of my uh, uh, most joyful joyful uh, seasons being a Chelsea fan. So, I still respect him for, for what he did when he was here, for sure. Yeah, Adam, I guess maybe it's not a painful a blow as Chelsea's greatest of all time. 
Jose Mourinho going there. I guess the fact that, you know, obviously we know the Chelsea Tottenham rather in fact, but Jose, our greatest manager, if he'd kind of been successful at Spurs, it kind of would have, it would have hurt a lot more with Conte. He is more, I can't believe I'm saying this. He's just a manager who won us a Premier League. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of saying, is it, is it, he's not perhaps as special as other managers. Obviously, we know he's a brilliant manager. Obviously, you know, as I said, 16-17 was probably one of my most enjoyable seasons following Chelsea. Just, you know, I guess from the emotional point of view, does it really bother you a huge amount that he's gone there? You know, obviously, I guess you'd have probably like them not to go there because it strengthens Spurs. But at the same time, like, I guess we, as Chelsea fans, we don't really need to worry about him and Spurs, especially at the moment anyway, given, you know, where Chelsea are at as a club and where Tottenham are at as a club. Yeah, to be honest, it would have bothered me more if he went to Manchester United because I actually think at Manchester United he would have been given the money every summer that he so desperately wants to spend on, on new players and up improving his squad and up, updating it. Whereas at Tottenham, I can't see a world in which it doesn't end in a messy divorce with Daniel Levy at some point within the next two years because Conte is Conte. It's not like he has fallen out with people in the hierarchies of just one club. He did it at Juventus. He did it at Chelsea. And, and he left Inter because, fundamentally, because Inter weren't going to give him more money this summer. And, and he didn't feel the club was matching his ambition. And he went to Tottenham. Like, we know what's going to happen. Like, it's inevitable. And he will make Tottenham better. He will improve them infinitely to where they were under Nuno because they were god-awful. But... <laughs> But it will all end in tears. And it's similar with Mourinho. Everyone knew with Mourinho, it was all going to end in tears for Tottenham. And yeah, he'll make them better for 18 months, two years maybe. But I think that's probably the limit you get out of him, I suppose. Obviously, I guess, you know, the UEFA Conference League probably becomes their competition to win now. Although Conte doesn't have a great record in uh, in <laughs> Europe. So we'll have to wait and see there. Yeah, now look, it's, it's interesting. But I say, you know, as I said, I was more worried about him going to United because I think he'd have certainly got more of a tune out of that squad and while Ole Gunnar Solskjaer stays at United as much as I think he's actually done quite a good job there I just do not fear him and I think you know fear you know he's taking United as far as he can so the longer he stays the happier I am obviously you know we kind of talked about the Norwich situation earlier Frank Lampard was in the running for the Norwich job and he pulled out the race Jack I guess reactions like is it is it one where it's like oh Frank you know Billy you could have maybe helped done us a favour there but also you're like I don't want him getting relegation on his CV because that Norwich side (laughs) is truly, truly awful. No, it was definitely a thank fuck for that situation. (laughs) 100%. I just was like, uh, they're pretty much doomed as it is, sitting right at the bottom of the league, got an awful goal difference. um, And I just, yeah, I don't think he could have really done too much to save them people would have said yeah he would have got a fresh start next season in the championship but like you alluded to he'd have a relegation on his CV and I I couldn't deal with the uh, media rinsing him for getting relegated and seeing all these fat Frank memes on Twitter and things like that so I'm I'm very glad that he hasn't taken it personally Um, Hopefully he just waits for the for the right project to come round and and takes that with both hands. I think if if he'd say taken the Norwich job at the start of next season when they'd already been relegated, then I personally don't think that would have been a bad job to take because he could have you you know what Norwich are like in the in the championship. They're uh, they're different gravy down there. So he could have maybe taken them up from the championship and then kept them in the Premier League. But I don't think that job was right for him at this present moment. 
Yeah, Adam, I guess, you know, it also would have been, you know, another, I guess, a third sort of challenging job, obviously different expectations, but he, you know, he took over Derby, a club that, you know, has been desperate, desperate to get back into the Premier League. And right now we're kind of seeing the consequences they're paying for, you know, going a bit too, too strong. He then took over the Chelsea job, which we knew was going to be really hard. And he, you know, did reasonably well. And then he'd be taking over, you know, if he'd taken over Norwich, that is, as say, a sinking ship where he is basically on a hiding to nothing. And, you know, if he keeps him up, then wow, fair play, you've done amazing. But then can you do it again type thing, given the sort of backing Norwich get? Is it one where, you know, we'd obviously, I guess, like to see Frank back in management, but it's one of those where you're quite relieved he's turned the job down. And do you, like, also was, like, not mean to be disrespectful, was the job almost, like, beneath him? Could, like, was he capable of a better job than Norwich? No, no, I, I think Norwich are, are, are very big club in, in their sphere to, um, and they're a very patient club with coaches as well so I think he would have had some a, sort of good stability at Norwich but as you say unless he kept them up this season I think he was in a hiding to nothing because if they went down there would have been this immediate expectation that they come back up and if he didn't do that um, then you I don't really know where he would go after that because people would see him as, mm. as someone who's failed uh, at Norwich so from his perspective, I understand why he's he's looked at it. There are probably, you know, there are, let's say, there are pluses to it, but maybe that's in his mind. And there's a lot of people who've been quite dismissive of Lampard on, and I know it's social media, but um, saying what kind of job is he waiting for? But it's his career at the end of the day. If he seems to, to find reason not to take a job at Villa or Norwich, then so be it. And Let's not overlook the fact he's also got a young kid and he's London-based and moving to Norwich or potentially up... I don't think he would have uprooted his family from London, so he probably would have had to move away from a, a young kid for half a week at least. So that may be part of his consideration that we never know and people seem to forget that these people, you know, managers and players, have personal lives and have to make decisions based on their families as well. Yeah, obviously, I guess, you know, the range job is available. Uh, it doesn't look like Rangers are going to, you know, be sort of considering him. It seems like Giovanni Van Bronckhorst is kind of on, is kind of a man. But would, you know, hypothetically, do you think Rangers, you know, would have been a good job for him or would it have been like following Steven Gerrard? Ooh, because... Oh, you know, man, <laughs> could you imagine that? The Lampard Gerrard star. I just, if I was Fred Lampard, I cannot be bothered to get into this because all you're going to get is asked about Steven Gerrard time and time again and it's just going to be boring for you. So, <laughs> I just, if I was him, I'd be like, no, no, I can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> fair enough fair enough um I guess yeah we have but the wait to see Frank back in management goes on but I'm sure there will be opportunities that arise and yeah as I say it was nice it was nice to see Frank you know potentially return to management but obviously we do want it to be the right time because we want to see Frank thriving we've seen he is very capable as a manager and he is also still learning on the job right kind of just before we wrap I kind of want to look at these fixtures now sort of up till boxing day Obviously, Adam, I know you guys for Blunt, you know, did your, your table predictor. I think, you know, quite nice. I did it. I had Chelsea top. I think quite a few of us had Chelsea top. Maybe it's kind of, you know, wishful thinking. But also, it is all given what Chelsea do. It's sort of this time of the month. But we'll see. Uh, obviously, it is it's a really big time for Chelsea coming up. Before we get into the league, I guess the Champions League, there are two huge games coming up for Chelsea. Champions League qualification is pretty much all assured. You know, it would have to be a monumental fuck up to, to not get it. But... Juventus at home is, you know, feels maybe it's a stretch to say the biggest game of the season, given where we are in the league. But it does feel a hugely important game because Chelsea will want to know, we want to come top this Champions League group because while you can maybe argue that the teams, there's a lot of quality where you play first and second. I mean, we came first and drew our first co last year. We don't want to draw Bayern Munich because they look 
rather good this year. Would you say that, you know, Chelsea should be topping the Champions League group, given how Juventus are performing in Serie A? Obviously, I know we lost to them 1-0 away, but I don't think, you know, that was us just being really poor. I thought Juve were decent, but I thought we just didn't show up. Yeah, I'm not as fussed, I suppose, if Chelsea don't finish top, uh, as I probably would have been in years past, because this this team has already proven they can go up against the best in Europe and win matches. So it's not as huge a issue for me. It'd be nice, of course. Um, Obviously, I mean, if you finish first, there's a fair chance you could get PSG um, in the the knockouts, given how they're going in in their group. So, yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not hugely concerned about where Chelsea finish. the Juve game, look, it'll be it'll be a massive game. It'll be it'll feel like a knockout game because of the stakes. So that'll be that'll be very good to watch and, and be there for. So I don't think it's a sort of season defining game or anything like that, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's this, it's it's at the beginning or, or the second game, obviously, of a very very difficult run for Chelsea between now and basically I don't know end of Jan, <laughs> essentially, yeah. if the Club World Cup slotted in in January as well. <laughs> Yeah, no, a big, big time Chelsea coming. Obviously, Juventus will see the return of Chelsea legends, Alvaro Morata and Juan Cuadrado to Stamford Bridge. Um, <laughs> right, we have, obviously, we'll focus on Premier League. Um, Chelsea have got games against Leicester away, Manchester United at home, Watford away, West Ham away, Leeds at home, Everton at home, and Wolves away. That's Wolves game for Christmas. Obviously, we'll just see, you know, where Chelsea are Christmas Day. Um, Jack, how many points would you say you'd realistically hoping Chelsea gets to that? Leicester, United, Watford, West Ham, Leeds, Everton, Wolves. That's seven games. How many points realistically would you like Chelsea to be getting from those seven games? Bear in mind, some of those games are quite tough. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, those games are like any games that you can slip up on, to be honest. But I think we should be we should be beating Leicester based on how they perform this season. They've been a bit off the pace, to be honest. I know they've got players like Harvey Barnes coming back now and he scored an absolute screamer last week, but um, should be beating them, should be beating United at home. Um, <laughs> just on how, how they've performed this season. Should be beating Watford away. I mean, West Ham have been have been quality this season, so I probably would take a point there away from home. Um, and then Leeds and Everton should beat both of them. Nothing special with those two. And then Wolves away is always a difficult one. I remember Wolves away last season. That was that was one of my one of the worst uh, like performances. The worst I felt after a game last season when uh, Neto went and scored up the other end. And yeah, I remember thought just went straight out of the house got in the car just to <laughs> try and calm down get the get the anger out so that will be a tough game but we should be beating them as well so in my opinion we should like really only be dropping a couple of points if we draw with West Ham but they're all they're all good teams and can turn up on your day so I wouldn't be surprised if we drop more than that yeah, so you've got six wins and one draw. That's exactly what I went from. And I also predict us to draw West Ham because we have a pretty pretty poor record at their stadium. Um, but obviously, I don't want to jinx fate, but Thomas Tuchel has just one manager a month and uh, we've got a 12.30 kickoff against Leicester. So, <laughs> eesh. Um, Adam, looking at those, those seven games, how many points would you say Chelsea got a realistic be aiming for? Uh, I think you got to... Go for 18, and if you can get the full 21, fantastic. Um, so yeah, I'd say 18 because as, as Jack said, there's there's a couple of tricky games in there, there are a couple of potential slip ups, and 
as Chelsea proved against Burnley, they're not infallible, so it could happen. Um, my f- it's such a weird fear, but my fear is United do something just because it's so Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Manchester yeah. United, where they're awful, and then suddenly they'll just pull out a performance, and you're like, where did that come from? How has how has this happened? How is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer beaten Pep Guardiola so many times? He just has this weird thing of turning up a performance when he really, really needs one, and that's my my main concern really. Yeah, no, I think United. Uh, I mean, and they they have got quality, so they could they could tump. I mean, they've looked pretty pathetic against City and Liverpool. They're not good. They're not good. They're not. But it doesn't stop me from being scared of them. They exactly, exactly. And I said this, and again, I did the tape predictor, and I said I predicted United would win their all their games up till Christmas, apart from our one. And this is, and this is I, I don't know why. I just have a blind faith in United, but they'll they'll come good, even though I don't want them to. So yeah, it is hard to tell. Look. It's a big defining month for Chelsea. You'd say if Chelsea, if Chelsea come away with the 18 points that we've kind of predicted from both some games, we'd be in a very strong position in the league. Um, you'd imagine, you know, you'd hope City and Liverpool drop some points in that time. Fingers crossed they do. Um, so, yeah, no, it is a really interesting time coming. And obviously, somewhere in there, League Cup against Brentford. Uh, obviously, Manchester City are out of their own trophy. After four years of dominance, they are gone. So that leaves, you know, Chelsea to to try and try and go for it. Um, Jack, it's Carabao Cup. I know it's not the be-all and end-all. No one cares a huge amount about mm. it. But we're in the quarterfinals now. We're playing a Brentford side, but uh, at the moment, kind of off form a bit, struggling. They lost to Norwich. They've lost a few games in a row. They don't look quite as good as they did. Maybe coming back down to earth a bit. Brentford presents a really good realistic opportunity to get to the semifinals. And then I think when you get to the semifinals, you want to go and win the thing because yeah. you've got this far. So, yeah, you definitely. Know, Given how Liverpool with Klopp, we know they don't always really put a strong team out. I know Tuchel's put some, you know, rotated sides out, but they've still been good enough. But do you think the League Cup is a trophy we realistically should be winning now this season? Yeah, I think we should be going for it, for sure. I know everyone uh, always rinses at the end of the season and says says it's a bit tin pot, but at the end of the day, it's still a major honour. So get another one in the... uh, in the museum at the bridge, might as well go for it. And it would leave uh, your prediction pretty good, Nick. So let's hope we can go and do it. Yeah, I did I did predict us to win the League Cup at the start of the season. So, you know, we'll just we'll just leave there. So, you know, if I can if I can pull that one off, it's quite funny. I, uh, a tweet I got on after a few weeks ago, but I said, Oh, this really Rudy good redemption when he wins when he wins the Champions League with us. And this was in like November or something of, of last season and it came true. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying I'm mystic, but um Adam, the League Cup, you know, again, it's, it presents with City going out now, you feel like that City lost to West Ham did feel huge. It did feel like, right, this is mm-hmm. one of the big guns gone now. This is a realistic chance to win a trophy. Albeit, you know, West Ham and Tottenham are still there, although one of those teams will will be gone next round. It does feel that this is, you know, not, you know, I know Liverpool is still there. This does almost feel Chelsea's trophy to lose now, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I'm saying that I imagine Tucker will rotate against Brentford just because of the schedule more than anything. Um, they were, I would be you know, shocked if they're not at least sort of five or six changes for that game. So, no, it is a good chance for Chelsea to win trophies. It would obviously throw in another couple of games in January as well, which is uh, what everybody needs. Um, because what would a week be without Chelsea playing on a Tuesday or Wednesday uh, this season? Um, and obviously, if those games are played, then there's no Eddie Mendy um, in the semi-finals because of Afcon. Um, but yeah, why not? Why not try and win it? Why not try and play 65 games this year? Because yeah, it's always fun, isn't it? <laughs> 
could tell Adam's enthusiasm for the Carabao Cup is huge. Oh, yeah. Like, I, like, it's, a, it's a nice trophy to win if you can, but I wouldn't be... If I'm Thomas Tuchel, I'm not going all out. Um, I'm playing it as, as I need to based on other competitions, basically. Fair enough. It is, it, you know, it can be a nice day out at Wembley, but yeah, I, I would I would like a nicer return. Well, like I say last time I was at Wembley for Chelsea. Obviously, we've had due to COVID was the League Cup final when we lost under Sari. So yeah, I, I would quite like, you know, a nicer, a nicer trip back uh, this time. It will it will be interesting. I think the League Cup is a great opportunity for us to win. And I know we kind of just talk about, you know, winning mentality. But this club, won, they won this group, won the Champions League last year. They won the Super Cup this year. It's just another chance to get a trophy under their belt. And, you know, to kind of use, you know, kind of cliche, but, you know, Jose did it, you know, won the League Cup. The league we kind of did follow in a couple of seasons. So it would be it would be quite nice. And I do think it's a realistic chance trophy. And also, I say the longer, the further we go in the League Cup as well, it does mean that players like Kepa, who, you know, still, you know, whose situation we may have to look at the end of the season, they still get opportunities. And I should kind of want to quick form this. A quick word, like I feel like, you know, obviously Kepa isn't someone we talk about a huge amount purely because he doesn't play. But I feel like Kepa was a player who under Frank, we were like, whenever we saw the line, we were like, oh God, no, God, no, that office meme, Michael Scott, you know. Um, we were all we were all panicking, we were all worried when he played. But I think a word on Tuchel and how he's helped rebuild him, because it feels like, you know, he's obviously not Eddie Mendy and he never will be. But there, there just does seem to be a confidence we have now in Kepa that, if called upon, he can do a job. Yeah, Tuchel's worked worked very hard on that. He's he's dropped him into games that Chelsea should win for the most part, barring you know the FA Cup final, which yeah, is not not ideal. And then against Spurs earlier this season, he was dropped in um, because of an injury to Mendy and, and did well. He's definitely miles ahead of where he was uh, under Lampard when his confidence was just a obliterated to be honest like as you say whenever you didn't feel confident whenever a shot went towards Chelsea's goal that it wasn't going to go in um that is is not the case and we do feel a bit more confident but I think it's January is going to be the the telling time because when Mendy does go if the Club World Cup isn't dropped in for for Jan and Chelsea play the City and Liverpool isn't it um they're going to be high pressure, high stakes games, and that's where you're going to see how far Kepa has come in in sort of his his redevelopment almost. Because um, if he can step up in those games, then then great. It puts Chelsea in a strong position going into next summer. Because um, as you say, a, a decision does has to made because he's on he's eight on a lot of money. He's probably doesn't want to be backup goalkeeper for another season. Um, and Chelsea will have to accept they're not going to get seventy one million pounds back for him. Yeah. Yeah. We just won't talk about that fee. Um, right, before we wrap up, <laughs> just a quick break. Rating our Premier League title chances. Obviously, last international break, we're top. This international break, we're top. We've kind of predicted Chelsea would do quite well on this next set of fixtures, which would mean Chelsea are top at Christmas, and we kind of do know what that means. But, Jack, what would you kind of rate Chelsea's Premier League title chances? And you, are you feeling kind of more confident as the season goes on? I don't, I don't know. Probably. Well, yeah, because we, we, we've got less games to get through. So you're getting closer and closer to the uh, end target. So I guess, yeah, I would say I'm more confident. I think last time, I think I said seven. I'd probably say say seven and a half, eight now. We've we've seen it in this last run of fixtures that we're capable of it. And we're going and winning some games where we've not played as well. But like we've spoken about, there have there has been that game like against Burnley where we haven't been able to get the job done. So there's still there's still issues to to iron out and be more clinical, which I think is a massive theme that we've said over the past eighteen months, two years. Um, so yeah, we've got every chance, and 
and I'm sure we'll we'll be right up there. So yeah, I'll probably say eight out of ten. Fair enough. Adam, are you kind of feeling more confident about our title chances since we last spoke? Yeah, I was going to say eight out of ten as well for me. Uh, I think that the Chelsea have come through this period with injuries covering for those is good. Obviously, we're going to get those players back in the weeks ahead, and and that's going to be important to sort of give the squad a bit more impetus, sort of a, a freshness that it's maybe not had over the last month. Um, so that'd be good. And and yeah, look, Man City and Liverpool, I know, haven't necessarily been as good as perhaps uh, some have tried to, to claim um, in the media. They, they, they do seem a bit uh, weaker in defence than, than the last sort of couple of years when when everyone's fit. Um, and, but Man City are, are a ridiculously good team as they proved against United. They made them look like a uh, under 23 side when they were Old Trafford the other week so um, so they're a very good side and, but look Tuchel said last season start of this season the challenge to close was to close the gap to, to Liverpool and Man United I think he's uh, Man United Man City uh, he's definitely done that now I think Chelsea are, are back level with those two um, it's just whether or not they can sustain it now over the next sort of six months and if they do then why not yeah no exactly and I'd Echo voice. I mean, I'm feeling more more confident. It is save a Burnley game. We won. I just, you know, normally sometimes you draw one one and you kind of feel really despondent. I was just like, it's football. It happens. I actually was really pleased with how we played against Burnley. I thought it was probably one of the best. It's been. It was a case of Burnley where I said it was actually probably better than a lot of games we won this season. That performance, we just didn't. You know, we just couldn't unfortunately finish it off and then well, they just yeah, sloppy defending and we're punished. Like Adam said, then what Tuchel had said about the Brentford game. I remember watching that and thinking. In the last few minutes, they generally hit so many shots at Mendy, and he'd had to pull off so many saves. I just normally I'd be fuming if we if we drop points there, but the last few minutes I was like, generally if they score, you, you can't say anything about it. They deserved at least a point in that game. So it's all swings and roundabouts in football, isn't it? Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And I think you know, as I say we have dealt well. You know, I mean, when I said we yet to see the best really of Romelu Lukaku this season, so and he's coming back now, so hopefully too cool because you know it's kind of got a plan for him to get him firing. But that's going to wrap it up. You know, looking back at the season so far in part two, uh, that was very fun. It was nice to just have a more general look, not just you know looking back at match reviews. I say sorry, there was no Burnley and Malmo view last week. Just decided to include it all in this one, part of a wider discussion. I want to thank Adam for coming on. Adam, it is always a pleasure having you on. Uh, before you go. Give yourself one last plug where we, where people can find you and have you got you know any potentially you know interesting articles coming up? Obviously, I know it's the international break, but any you know articles for people to keep an eye on that might interest them. Uh, no, actually, because after today I'm off until Leicester because it's my daughter and wife's birthdays in the next week, so um, I'm taking a week off. Nice one, nice one. So yeah, well, make sure you follow Adam Newson on Twitter. His links will be in the description below, and if you listen to Pod and like the Pod, and when I put the tweet out, leave a comment saying thank you, Adam. For coming on it is greatly appreciated and was very you know nice to get to talk to people you know who've got perhaps an inside it's good which has you know telling us you know all sorts of all sorts of news as for us we're on all your usual podcast platform fighters apple spotify etc or remember to download the podcast all that helps retweet share it you know play it from wherever you know just get people listening to us please people it is greatly greatly appreciated jack been a while but it's nice to have you back on man um Thank you. Okay. Yeah, we'll see you. We'll see, see you soon. Um, but yeah, until the next episode, everybody, keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.